You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live this morning. We're broadcasting here in Virginia, Minnesota at Holy Spirit Catholic Church. And it's time now for this week's Honor Our Fathers segment. We have many great priests who model and guide us to a closer relationship with our Heavenly Father. So we want to honor our spiritual fathers with a dozen donuts donated by a local business. Let us know who you'd like to honor, and each week we'll draw a name and share who the winner is and find out why that particular priest was nominated by one or more of our listeners. And today's Honor Our Father segment on Real Presence Radio is brought to you in part by Holy Family Bookstore. To know God, to love God, to serve God, Holy Family Bookstore in Fargo provides Catholic books, gifts, and religious articles for all occasions. Their number is 701-241-7842. And friends, this week we honor Father James Gross from St. Mary's Catholic Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, Ellen nominated Father James, and she says, Father James is so devoted to his ministry. His kindness and compassion are incredible, and his homilies are excellent. We learn so much from him. We are so blessed to have him as our pastor. Again, we'd like to congratulate Father Gross on being chosen in this week's Honor Our Fathers segment. Today's Honor Our Fathers segment on the Real Presence Radio Network is brought to you in part by Holy Family Bookstore. To know God, to love God, to serve God. Holy Family Bookstore in Fargo provides Catholic books, gifts, and religious articles for all occasions. And their number is 701-241-7842. So again, congratulations to Father James Gross, who I also know is very involved on Real Presence Radio. He's a host, and uh, I'm so grateful that we get to honor him this morning on Real Presence Live. We're so blessed with so many great priests and friends. We need to continue to pray for them, to love them, to support them. And uh, they are our shepherds, and they do so much. So the least we can do is honor them with uh, with some donuts. So congratulations again to Father James Gross, and uh, job well done. And thank you for, for your incredible ministry that you do there in Fargo, North Dakota. So, well, Father, we're back uh, on this morning's show, and just reflecting a little bit on uh, one of our previous guests was Mark Holcroft. And we started to talk a little bit about you know, we talked about formation and brotherhood, and, and he uh, experienced that in the, the context of youth ministry. And I wanted just to talk with you a little bit, furthering that conversation, and especially keeping in mind in our listening audience all throughout the Midwest. All of you are in different parishes and have different experiences uh, with youth ministry, with ministry, with evangelization. And sometimes, you know, I get people that talk to me, and there's there's... They struggle. They, they see a little bit of indifference in our culture. You know, there's the reality of uh, many people are talking about the rise of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. And there's an incredible challenge before us today where we're growing up in a culture where we're thrusting so many of our people more with the sense of this humanism that I am at the center and I'm kind of navigating, trying to find truth. And 
many people in the midst of that context are losing faith. More people are claiming to say, I don't have faith. And one of the fastest growing demographics of that is our young people. And I know that in this next, in this next segment, I just want to talk to that because I know on your heart, you had many years of youth ministry experience before you became a priest. I had many years working in the area of youth ministry. We've both seen this kind of unfolding, and we've also been working to try to engage that culture, to try to bring that fire back into them. And so I just want to kind of start uh, with you and, and just, first of all, what, what was your story of youth ministry uh, to start for our listening audience? They, they know you as Father Brandon, but before you went to seminary, what was your experience working with young people? Oh, and let me you know, Mark said earlier, he said, I could talk the whole segment about this, but I'll try <laughs> to do it in 30 seconds, you know? I mean, basically, I grew up in a Catholic family, um, and I would say generally we're nominally Catholic, Uh for most of my life, my mom was coming to Mass, my dad was at home, we had four children, and I, I would say that growing up, our, our, our youth program was, was adequate, you know? It wasn't anything that was just like, light me on fire, there were pockets of some good things going on, good-hearted people doing all they could, um, but I really actually got involved in a, an organization called Youth for Christ, um, which is a non-dominational organization that would have these things that they were called clubs where kids from our high school would get together and there'd be fun games and activities. Then you'd read scripture and you'd have a little bit of a teaching. And there was just this life there that I really, really, my heart was drawn into. And I really started developing a relationship with the Lord at that time. I was still going to mass on Sundays with my family and still getting a Catholic formation, but that was really taking place. And it was at that time where I, 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 I don't know, I, I started loving like, I would say ministry. I didn't know it at that time, but I, I felt at home at that place, you know. And I was probably a high school senior, and I started getting tastes of what fellowship was, what what fraternity was. I had some guys on my basketball team that we'd have little Bible studies together. Um, and then I went off to college. I went to a Protestant Bible college. I was the only Catholic there with you know seven hundred excited. <laughs> evangelical Christians and ready, did, ready to convert you. <laughs> right. When I got there, I didn't realize what I was getting into. And when I got there, I got challenged a lot about my faith, but it was there that I studied my faith and it really came alive. And then from there, I served in net ministries for a year. Um, and that's when like, I'd say the gifts of the Holy spirit really started stirring in my life and a desire to serve the church. Um, and in a, in a crazy thing, I mean, 21 years ago, I got hired to work at Holy spirit parish in Virginia, Minnesota. Yeah. I had no idea what was ahead of me. I mean, I had no clue. I was a young 20-year-old kid, and I got hired at the parish I'm working at right now 21 years ago. If you would have told me I was going to be the pastor of this place 20 years ago, I would have laughed in your face. Like, priesthood was so far off the radar. Um, but it was then that I, I was able to be a youth minister and be able to, like, as Mark was saying, going to sporting events, running a youth program here, running retreats, um, entering into families' lives, engaging, and, and saw some beautiful things happening right here at this parish. And I was here for four years, and then I went to Duluth and spent a year. And then finally, I just had this thing in my heart that I just kept saying, there's more, there's more. And, and, and I hated school. Like, I was like a CD student. Like, school is not my gig. Reading books is not my gig. I struggle with the academic life. But there was this fire in me. And the idea of giving up family was really, like, difficult at that point in my life. But I, I jumped into seminary, and somehow, God's grace, I made it through eight years. I don't even, like, I look back. If that's not evidence of God's existence, <laughs> I don't know what is. And from there, I got thrown into the parish, and I worked in Brainerd. I was a priest in Brainerd for two years, and I immediately uh, was asked to kind of oversee the the work of evangelization and youth ministry and all these sorts of things. That was kind of my role there in Brainerd in a major way. And that was a joyful experience. And there was so much fruit. 
And then I got sent here to Virginia and I'm already in my seventh year, which is hard to believe. And, um, and youth ministry and, and evangelization is, is like at the heart of who we are at this parish. Um, so, and, and that's kind of a general timeline yeah. of, of kind of my personal testimony and story of how I got to this place right now. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to that, uh, those years when you were doing youth ministry here, you said 21 years ago, mm-hmm. starting, uh, uh, youth ministry here at Holy Spirit in Virginia. And I, I want to also allude to uh, what you said earlier from, I can't remember what saint it was, but uh, the world, no, it was one of the popes. Yeah. The world listens more to witnesses than it does to teachers. And if it does listen to teachers, it's because they were a witness. Correct. And um, so I want to go back to your, you were a young adult at the time, working in youth ministry in Holy Spirit. And at the same time, I was a teenager in Duluth, Minnesota. And I, I just want to share kind of from my perspective of, I first came into contact with Brandon Moravitz as a, as a youth minister, as a teenager. And there were some retreats that we did in our diocese. And I still remember going to these retreats, and, and uh, Father Brandon, then Brandon, um, was the leader on some of these retreats. And I still remember looking at this guy, I'm like, what is he on? <laughs> like, he has something inside of him. But I will say, it was very contagious. Mm. And as a formidable young, you know, teenager who grew up in a good Catholic family and was trying to increase my my Catholic faith, I'm seeing um, this young adult man who just loves the Lord, wants to share it, and there was just something different. And then I remember building relationship with you, and you know, you brought me out to a conference that was in Ohio, and and you very much invested deeply in me. And then you were the one, as I graduated high school, went into college and was navigating like I wanted the Lord to grow in my own life. All of a sudden, this Brandon Moravitz one day opens his trunk of his car and he's like, I've got this application for Net Ministries. You should consider looking at this. And I still remember that night going back home. I had just, gra- I just finished my freshman year of college. And Brandon Moravitz gives me this application, and I couldn't fall asleep. I'm laying there at 3 in the morning, and my heart was pounding. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was convicting me, saying, you need to look at this. And I remember the next morning, I I finally fell asleep. I woke up, and I filled it out, and I said, Lord, if this is your will, I'm going to apply and open all the right doors. It was very late. It was the last, you know, um, uh, chance for you to go and be interviewed. And But... I guess I reflect on that because in your times in youth ministry, one of the things that I appreciated was you really tried to make the church compelling mm. and contagious. Mm. And I think that's something that's a good recipe for youth ministry today. You know, we look all throughout our churches and how do we bring the gospel to a culture that can be indifferent? So maybe I don't know if you want to speak to that. Why is it important? in our culture today to bring the gospel in a compelling way in a contagious way that's attractive to young people. Yeah. I think that's so critical, Ben, that we have to make the faith attractive. Um, and we, it's, it's, we have to draw people we, like, in some ways we as disciples of the Lord have to be magnets of the Holy spirit that draw people in. And I think in the, in, in the midst of what we're facing right now as a culture and as a church, we're too quick to just like, post statements, you know, of division and I disagree with this and I agree with this and, and it becomes just this battle as opposed to attracting people, you know? And again, I didn't know I was doing this. Like when you were talking about when I was a youth minister, 20 years old, that's all the Holy spirit because I didn't have any real formal training. I had net ministries, but now that I know what I know, I look back and I say, that's amazing the way that worked out. Because mm-hmm. I think about, again, Sherry Waddell, she talks about this, how you have to first build trust with people. And that's that relational ministry. Yeah. Like 
before you start talking to them about the Eucharist and abortion and contraception and confession, if we just like just puke that out on people without a relationship, the chances of that bearing fruit are next to null. Every once in a while, maybe that will work, but generally you have to build trust with people and you have to like invest in them and build relationships with them. And that's what we would do in our youth ministry. And we still do, but that should be with our adults, all those sorts of things. And then when there's that trust, if you're living in a way that's contagious, they then become attracted and curious. Hmm. They're curious. Like you had said, you had seen me as a 20-year-old or 21-year-old, 22-year-old young man. There was something in you that was curious about, what is the fire in that guy? Yeah. You were curious about it. And you had a trust in me because we had spent some time together and you had known me. So there was trust. And then you had a curiosity. And then when I gave you that application, it was received in a way yep. where there was an openness. Yes. And then God was able to bear fruit in that. So often, we're too quick to give people the application without building trust and curiosity. And can I say, too, that that trust, then when you encounter a living witness and you trust them, then when it comes to those deeper teachings, you're more receptive and open to be drawn into that fullness of the truth. Like, that was my experience growing up. I had all the same questions and struggles as anyone else. But then, when you meet someone that has this contagious faith, and then... You realize like, wow, this, this family member is contagious and they're living with the teaching of natural family planning. And like, I want to know there's something about them. I'm drawn into it because that trust is already there. And I think that that's the power that witness can have um, when it does uh, connect you um, in relationship to someone. And I think that is a critical component to, to teaching that we need to be witnesses. We need to invest deeply in people and draw them in. I'm always just... Uh, compelled by the life of Christ. What did he do when he encountered so many sinners throughout the the Bible? He entered into their midst, built relationship with them, but he didn't say, you're fine, stay where you're at. He always said, let me draw you deeper into this truth. Let me point you to what you're really looking for. And that's what it seems to me is the, the road of discipleship to say, I love you, but I love you enough where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you and challenge you to keep taking steps forward to the objectives, the truth of our faith. Yeah, and that's, you know, this weekend, I was, I was in some ways surprised, but not surprised. But this weekend after Masses, I was amazed by the number of people that on their hearts, they, they were asking me, like, after Mass, like, Father, what's my role in all that's going on in culture and, and politics and these things? Like, do I need to be speaking up? Do I need to be, you know, all the, because there's so much confusion and everybody's handling it in different ways and it's heavy on people's hearts. Like, how do we navigate through this? And whether this is right or wrong, like, it's all about a method, you know, and methods aren't always right or, you know, there isn't a, like a hard truth. But I really believe the method is you need to build relationships with those maybe you disagree with. Hmm. You need to just go have lunch with them and don't have an agenda to change them. Like, just go, like, you need to get comfortable like Christ and go sit with the, with the person that, that, that maybe is sinning or, or advocating for something that's, that's, that's sinful or whatever. Like, just invest in them for the next year. Hmm. Like, don't, don't intend to just change them. And after you, you invest in them, pray. And then maybe after a year, they might be curious to learn things and to understand, you know, and to grab onto things. But you have to invest in people. You can't just beat them over the head with a pamphlet or a book or a blog or a statement. Like, friends, if you're out there, build relationships. Enter in. And those are hard. 
But but even if you disagree, it's okay sometimes. All right, you don't have to change people on the spot. You know, like invest in people, like build relationships with people, and then be attentive to when God opens a door, when a heart is ready. You know, I think of people that come to RCIA generally. The ones that last and the ones that that bear fruit are the ones that have relationships and there's an openness and a curiosity. Hmm. Usually the ones that come to RCI, I'm there because of my wife or I'm there because of my husband or I'm there because a friend told me. Like it, Those don't last as long because they're not imbued in a relationship of trust. Hmm. All right, And I think, gosh, if anybody's out there listening, you have to think about that. Examine your conscience and ask yourself, how are you reacting to difficult things and people that maybe you disagree with are you engaging them in friendship and relationship? Or are you feeling this pressure that you have to send them some sort of article or send them some sort of blog? And doesn't that connect to exactly what we're talking about with Paul? I, Father, think of the early Christians. How did they live? They lived deeply in communion with one another. And when that relationship, that community was, was being fostered, it just, it growed. It was contagious. I mean, you read about in the New Testament, I mean, they would go into these places and so many converts were, were coming in and there had to be something contagious about the way that those Christian communities were living. There was a unity, there was a love between them and it drew so many people in. And it just, I, I often reflect on that to say, we can get that back. You know, we can live the same bold way that those early Christians did uh, in a contagious way where people are compelled to say, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, and it, and it looks different, all right? But and, and we have to be careful not to romanticize. Sometimes we can romanticize history, like how beautiful it was. Oh, in those days of the church, in mm-hmm. those days, it was so wonderful. Like there were plenty of issues and struggles in there, obviously in the early church. You know, I'm sure there were marriages that were struggles. I'm sure there were kids that fell astray. Obviously, the government was a mess. There were people being martyred and killed. It wasn't as if, like, it was this perfect thing where everybody woke up and they sang their (laughs) alleluias and they had their ordered life and everything was perfect. No. What did they have? They had abiding trust in the Lord and invested in one another in relationship and community. Yeah. Like, and so friends, like, be careful not to romanticize it because sometimes you can think, well, that's not me. My family's a mess. Or that's not me. My neighborhood's a crazy. Or my parish isn't that great. Mm. Like, don't let the devil get into that. Like, God works in the suffering. So get over and hang out with your neighbor or hang out with another family that's struggling or reach out to somebody that's having a hard time. Or if you're having a hard time, let people enter into your life because the Christian life is navigating to the sufferings and struggles of this world with joy and trust that God is in our midst. So I, I want to bring this back to youth ministry for a second. So let's say, you know, we've, we cover in Real Presence Radio, you know, five different states throughout the Midwest. Maybe there's a lot of places where, you know, they've got a great youth ministry and core team members who are investing in their youth and that just, there seems to be some fruit bearing. But there's also the reality that maybe I'm listening right now and I say, you know what, I look at my parish and we just, there's not much there. There's no youth ministry. We don't have a budget to hire anyone. Um, we, we really struggle. So we, we talk about investing deeply in the young people and building relationship. And I look around and that's not my experience. Like, what would you say into that situation for someone listening right now, it's like, gosh, I, I, I want this contagious faith. I want to, to reach out in ministry and to build relationship with the young people in my church, but I just don't, I don't even know where to start. What, what would you say to them? It's, it, it's, 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 it takes a lot of discernment. I really believe that. Like, one, you have to be very prayerful, and you have to be, have a real honest assessment of yourself and to those around you in your parish. And I, I think what needs to happen is you need to look around and see 
who has natural gifts of engaging young people? Like maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's somebody that you just know. It seems like when they speak, the young people are like, look up to them and there's an attraction. Sometimes you might have a heart to do it, but you're not the right person to do it. All right. You know, I've seen good hearted people that want to do things, but it doesn't necessarily always work. All right. So if you're in a parish that's struggling, there are people in your parish right now that have the capacity to really enter into relationships with the young people. You know, and, and, and we have to pray that those, those right people come forward and come up. I think sometimes as priests, you know, some priests are like, well, youth ministry is not my thing. And then it just kind of, it, it, it flounders in the parish. But just because father might not be that guy, there are people in father's parish that could do it very beautifully. And so one, you have to pray and you have to discern. And then I think you have to get the right group of people together to really have a plan. Because if you don't have a plan, you're in trouble. All right, like you got to really discern and pray. What's our plan? And it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be really simple. Hmm. All right, but you invest in relationship. All right, every parish has the capacity to do that. Um, but don't be afraid. Like one of the things that I struggle with a lot um, is sometimes we can get really parochial as parishes. Like, oh, that's their parish. This is my parish. If there's one parish that has something beautiful going on. Hmm. Don't be afraid to access that and use that. All right? It's okay. You can access some of the things that are going on in youth ministry. Some parishes are blessed with more resources and things. Don't see that as a threat. You know, go utilize that and then bring what you've learned there back to your own parish. Yeah. All right? Use what works. Don't just get frustrated and say, oh, they have it, we don't. Like, that's crazy. That reminds me a little bit of, you know, again, when I was probably late teen, early college, there was... There was a real sense among a lot of the youth ministers and some of the people throughout our diocese, like, we need a little bit more for, for youth ministry. And I still remember a handful, I think you were a part of it, of youth ministers coming forward and say, we need, we need to collaborate and work together. And then they came up with this D-Week idea, uh, bringing D-Week to, uh, uh, to Duluth. And it bore so much fruit when the people of God worked together in the sense of, like, how do we collaborate? And then that offered so much for maybe some parishes that they, maybe they couldn't hire a a full-time youth minister or something like that. And so I do think there's ways uh, that collaboration does help us uh, to grow in, in evangelization and, and ministry. So um, one thing I wanted to ask, Father, so, you know, you'd mentioned uh, your work with, was it Teach for Christ or what was it when you were in, you were growing up? What was the... Uh, youth for Christ. Youth for Christ. Yeah. Youth for Christ, not Teach for Christ. Yeah, Teach for Christ is who we have here right. at our school. They're amazing too. We'll talk about them a different day. But... Um, but I'm curious, like, you grew up in this youth ministry, and, and in many ways, like, that was kind of contagious. But I'm curious, because as you continue to, to grow in your faith and, and in different youth ministry, one thing I loved um, in my own experience of as a youth, and you were leading youth ministry, was your great sense of always speaking to the sacraments and what is one of the best gifts that we have in our church and the young people. Like, we can have all the best methods and the best games and all these things, but looking back in some of these retreats that you led, why was it so powerful? We put the, we put the kids before Jesus in the, the Holy Eucharist. We gave them the, the opportunity to be on their knees before God in reconciliation to be forgiven of their sins. And I look at my own testimony in my life that I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for one of those retreats in the, in the sacrament of penance. That it changed the trajectory of my life. And so... A lot of times we can come on and we can tell people like, here's all these models and games and different things. And those are absolutely, there's a place and it's important that we, that we structure, you know, great experiences for kids. 
But sometimes maybe we make it a little too complex where are we going back to the basics of, well, how do we help kids go, grow closer to Jesus? Well, let's try placing them before Jesus in the Most Holy Eucharist. What are your, what are your thoughts about the way that the sacraments play uh, for youth ministry today? Yeah, I mean, there is no doubt about it, Ben. I mean, the greatest source of grace and goodness and life is in the sacraments of the church. Everything flows from those sacraments. But also, the sacraments aren't magic. You can't, like, you can't just go to Mass and go to adoration without any, again, personal relationship with the Lord and a community. You know, sometimes we can think that, you know. I mean, parents, some of you might not like when I say this, but I, I just, sometimes, like, the confession is one of those things. Like, sometimes parents use confession as a, like, a discipline maids. Hmm. You screwed up, now you're going to confession. And the kid walks into the confessional and is like, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. My mom's making me be here. Like, Maybe there's something good about that, but in another sense, like, maybe there's not, you know, like, and you have to think that through, like, again, it's back to that idea of attraction, you know, like, we want to attract people to the sacraments of the church and not, like, mandate and force those sorts of things, and it's it's a complicated kind of dilemma, but when you were saying about your powerful experiences on retreat in things like adoration and confession, a lot of that was because your heart was prepared for that experience, Mm -hmm. You know, if you would have just showed up and, I mean, God can work in all things, yeah. but I think because we had a relationship and your heart was softened and you were ready to receive, mm-hmm. you know, you had trust, you had curiosity, then you could receive those things. All right. But again, everything flows to the sacraments. Everything flows away from the sacraments. All right. So everything that we're doing should lead us there. We're not just building relationships for the sake of relationships. We're not just having fellowship for the sake of fellowship. If it's not leading us to the to the Lord and the sacramental life of the church, it's worthless. Like it needs to bear fruit there. But then from there, we go back into the life of service and fellowship and uh, community. So all these things are important and critical. And, and, and sometimes we see it, look at everything in a hierarchical way. But in some ways, it's like this tapestry that's all together that makes something beautiful when it's all being done together. And sometimes when we get caught up and say it has to be all fellowship, or it has to be all this, or it has to be all that, it's dangerous. Yeah. All those things develop um, the true disciple. It's almost like a recipe, right? You have all these ingredients and mm. components that, and some are absolutely critical. And uh, um, but when they are together, and I, I like that you use the word like when one has a, a soft heart, right? Like what what keeps us away from the grace of God? Like if today. Um, you hear God's voice, harden not your heart, right? What keeps us away is is hard hearts. And when we try to bring youth before the Lord, we need to work on that they're before the Lord with a soft heart so that they can receive, because so many times, and especially going back to this idea of in a world of indifference, oftentimes we do live where a lot of people do have these hardened hearts. So in that work to say, if we want this faith to last and we want them to cling on to the Lord, this contagious faith, we work to soften those hearts so that they can have an encounter with, with Jesus. Yeah, and perfect example is this Wednesday, past Wednesday night. All right, we've got, whatever, 60, 70, 80 of our high school students here on Wednesday night. Um, and we start in our social hall. When they get there, there's snacks, there's music. We play a couple ridiculous games, you know. Like, I just gave kids 30 sheets of paper and said, let's see which small group can build the biggest tower with these pieces of paper. We put on loud music, and they're all laughing and talking and, and having a good time. And then we uh, speak to them a little bit about virtue, and we give them a little bit of education. And then what do I do? I say, hey, 
Anybody that wants to go in the church, there'll be adoration and praise and worship going on there, and I'll be in the confessional. Young people, if you don't want to go, you can go home right now. It's up to you to decide if you want to go to the church. Do you see how different that is than me saying, all right, we're all going to the church to pray now. Like, I'm inviting them to go. And it started with a fun game to soften their hearts. We gave them a little bit of a message. And then we give them ownership to decide, are you going to go to the church and pray, or are you going to go home? And it's amazing. It was packed. It was packed. Yeah. And the kids didn't feel like they were being forced. They ownership. And we had beautiful music. There were kids coming to confession. It was, and it was some beautiful confessions. But it's their own. They're being attracted, not being mandated. Yeah. And there is a big difference between the two. Um, and we saw that so beautifully just this past Wednesday night, right here at our own parish. Great stuff. We're going to continue this conversation. We're going to go to break. So stay with us. We will be right back. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. 